Welcome to Playing for the Master, a podcast on theater, faith, culture, and other shenanigans. Okay. Well, this is the... Uh, possibly... Maybe... It's sort of... Official podcast... For Unmuted Arts... And Master Arts Theater. So welcome. Uh, this is what we're hoping will be the first of many uh, episodes of this podcast, Playing for the Master. Um, my name is Tim Van Bruggen. I'm Executive Director of Master Arts Theatre. I am John Wilson. I'm the Executive Director of Unneeded Arts. And today we're just going to talk about a little bit about ourselves, why we decided to do this podcast, um, a little bit about our favorite roles within this theatre world and what they mean to us, and a little bit about this coronavirus and quarantine and how that's affecting each of our organizations and what we're doing to try and uh, kind of keep going in the face of that. Have you bought a hazmat suit yet? Not yet, but I actually have a friend who's offered to get me one. So I'm <laughs> Nice. Good. Keep that in mind. So, John, um, yes. why the heck are we here? Well, Tim, approximately... Six to seven thousand years ago, according to some creationist theories. Okay, I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean the origins of humanity. Oh, okay. Why are you and I sitting down here talking together today? Well, there's this tiny thing that's going around uh, called the coronavirus that has resulted in everybody being quarantined. And Tim and I, you and I, for a long time have been like, hey, we... That's not how I should phrase it. It's I was just going to be like, we talk funny. We talk funny. We talk funny. No, but we, we have good conversations. And our friends were like, you should turn that into a podcast. And we were like, ooh. And then we never did. But then quarantine happened. And we were like, hey, now we could. We could. We and could. here we are. Here we are. <laughs> but I think we also want to talk about, like, why. Why, why we wanted to do one. Mm -hmm. um, you and I have some really fun conversations, and we tend to like have a lot of uh, banter mm -hmm. between us. But I also think we both have some shared uh, interests and passions. Mm -hmm. I agree, and you see that like the tagline is the perfect example. Here to talk about theater, faith, and culture and shenanigans. Um, but oh <laughs> like we 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 have fun, but but it's it's wonderful to just be able to sit down with a friend and delve into these deep things and just talk about them. Yeah. And we wanted to do that in the public eye for everybody to judge our opinions. <laughs> so, so fire away, everyone. Yeah. You now have an open window to criticize us Openly. to your fullest extent. Why don't you start and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing as the uh, director of Unmuted, and uh, how you got to this place where you love theater and love using it to worship God. So I actually started out um, wanting to go into film. Um, my, my mom and dad were divorced and my mom homeschooled. So my brother and I, probably slightly illegally, wound up staying at home a lot by necessity. Um, and instead of doing school, I just would like watch the behind the scenes of Star Wars movies. And you I probably like, shouldn't say you've been doing things illegally on a public forum. Just, probably just, not. But, you know, no, yeah. for no, cool. no for the future. Everybody forget that I said the word illegal. Um, anyways, but instead of doing my schoolwork, I would watch the behind the scenes of the Star Wars movies, and then Mom would come home and be like, do your school, and I was like, dang it. But 
I saw that and I was like, man, this looks really awesome doing this cool, creative thing. So for about 10 years, nine or 10 years, I was like, I'm going to go into film. And I had this plan and I planned out my entire life of going into film. And then I started doing things at Master Arts because I was like, I need to learn how to act and I need to learn how to direct and I need to learn how to do all these things. And community theater is a great accessible way to do that. And Master Arts is Christian. I would love that Christian foundation. So I jumped in and then I was like, whoa, this theater thing is pretty cool. And then I started seeing God use it in really cool ways in Horizons of Gold and Cotton Patch, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit. And Mary Poppins, which, but, but these were shows uh, through Master Arts and Homeschool Performing Arts that made me realize how much I enjoyed the art of theater and the atmosphere of theater, but also seeing what God was doing mm. here locally. So then through all of 2017 and 2018, I didn't know what my life was going to be. You got that figured out now? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I don't, uh, but... After praying a lot, I felt like God was telling me to pursue ministry uh, a little more than theater, which was difficult for me because I've always been very artistic. So I gave that up to him and started doing uh, Moody Bible Institute. And then one day, Bev Bishop, who was the former uh, executive director of Unmuted before I was and is the current executive director of Vessel for Arts, um, messaged me on Facebook and was just like, hey, uh, would you be available sometime to talk about unmuted stuff? And we met, and she was like, so I'm here to talk to you about unmuted. And she, you know, kind of talked a little bit and basically was just like, do you want unmuted? Which was like the weirdest thing. And she just offered that executive directorship. And it was really weird. Wow, that's awesome. It, it was totally out of the blue. Like, I had not expected it at all. Uh, it It expedited... I guess what my life plan was, because I was like, I feel like God's calling me to leadership in this community, but I think that's like 10, 15 years down the road. And then all of a sudden it was dropped in my lap right then mm. when I hadn't been expecting it at all. And so I went home and prayed about it because scripture performance is also not necessarily my strongest suit. So it, it was a lot of prayer, but it seemed really consistent with a lot of things that God had been leading me towards at that time. So I accepted it. And it's been quite a joy so far. Cool. How about you? How did you get here in Grand Rapids? Oh, what a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> well, I'm, for lack of a better term, significantly older than you. <laughs> so my journey's been a little bit longer. Grew up in Holland over at the Lake Shore. Went to West Ottawa High School, where my sister kind of forced me into theater. Uh, which I didn't want to do, but then once I was in it, I was totally hooked. Uh, went to Hope College, studying both business management and theater. And then out of college, I got an office job. The best way to use the theater degree. Yeah. So um, actually, I had a really, really good, solid job that I was growing and kind of going up the career ladder and uh, was doing theater at Holland, Holland Civic Theater. Yeah. Uh, which is now Holland Civic Theater, or Holland Community Theater. It's, <laughs> yeah. They've changed names a couple of times. But a nice little theater down in Holland. Mm -hmm. um, was cutting my teeth there. And then I met my wife and uh, really rededicated my life to the Lord when I started going to a new church. And then, in kind of a similar way to you, God kind of said, you got to set this theater stuff aside. Um, so there was about two to three years that I I did my job, went to church, just really focused on 
growing my love for the Lord. But then I got an opportunity at my church at the time, which was First Assembly of God in, in Holland, under uh, Pastor Cal Garcia, to get involved and do some theater for the church. And that through that process of learning how to do church theater and drama skits, and then eventually doing some full stage stuff and writing some things, I got a real hunger and a real vision for doing theater for God. And right after I got this vision for doing theater for God, he led me on this completely different path <laughs> for like 17 years of doing inner city ministry and, and worship leading in churches down in Tampa. But then about um, a little over five years ago, I found out that Master Arts Theater here in Grand Rapids was looking for uh, an executive director and uh, got offered the job. So for the past five years, I've been that dream of really doing theater for God has kind of come to fruition here at Master Arts, uh, which has been amazingly rewarding, unbelievably challenging, the greatest dream and biggest nightmare I'd ever thought I'd have. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm loving where I am, and I love uh, being at Master Arts and being creative with other people to, uh, to tell stories for God. Now we're just going to chat for a bit. Um, we're going to chat about uh, the latest production that both he and I did, mm -hmm. um, Father Brown. We're going to talk a little bit about that and then kind of what our what some of our favorite roles have been. Mm -hmm. So coming off Father Brown, we just closed a few weeks ago. This is true. It was hard for you at first. It was hard for me at first. I think it was most hard because I had quite recently played another less than altruistic character, yes. we shall put it. For those of you who did not see Father Brown, I played a wonderful variety of roles that included a drunk uh, and fornicator and a uh, cult leader, and then a little uh, butler. And especially the drunk was very difficult for me because I have a tendency with my roles to delve in headfirst, which I, like, I, I haven't always done. I haven't done that with every show. I just normally get the best result. And with the show I'd just been in prior, Pilgrim, like, I'd realized this entirely different facet to this character that at first glance I thought I was just almost going to just, it was going to be simple to play. Um, but as we delved in, I was like, oh, there's way more here. And so I felt like I wasn't putting in the work if I wasn't delving into that. Um, mm. But it was really tricky... Not necessarily just because of delving into the role, but we all have, like, a version of ourselves that we fear we're going to be, that we don't want to be. And so many aspects of that character fall into that. So it was difficult there, but it was really interesting to watch it grow from something that originally was challenging, that I, I didn't really enjoy a huge amount, and, and go through this phase where it very much was very challenging in, the, in like the last couple of weeks as I was building the set and stuff, but then to opening and especially by the second week, it almost became a reprieve to the other things uh, that were kind of going crazy in life. And as this coronavirus thing was picking up, um, yeah. it started to become like a nice little place where the world just kind of stopped and I was able to just do the show and spend time with some really wonderful people. And that was really great. It's kind of weird now that it stopped too, because I've never... I've never gone off of a show and things just stopped. Mm. But because of the coronavirus, now things have just stopped. Very much stopped. Very much stopped. So mm -hmm. it, it's weird having done that show and not immediately running towards another show because we don't know what the next show is going to be. 
So what were some particular things with those roles, like, uh, and I think I, I, I'm okay saying this, your lecherous drunk yeah. guy <laughs> and your manipulative uh, cult, cult leader, Kalon, um, what were some challenges for you stepping into those roles? With the cult leader, there wasn't as many uh, challenges, I would say. Kalon was more just something that was fun to ham it up come up with these weird little hand motions to do for these rituals and then play off of you, which is always a blast. Um, Thank you. Likewise. And then the, the, the kernel was more difficult. The, the trickiest thing, I think, for me was I now found myself in a position where I'm definitely very firmly a spiritual leader in areas. Mm. And so the most difficult thing for me, because I have my philosophy of acting and like I know where my lines are but they're probably f slightly further uh, than what would necessarily be behavior that in general life would be expected of a ministry leader and we, we really started to push up to those lines with that role and so it was a question of okay as the leader of a ministry is this ultimately something that I should be doing and necessarily want people to see me doing. Mm, good point. And that was my trickiest thing with it. And ultimately, I landed on not really, <laughs> um, which was what made it the trickiest, because at this point I was, you know, devoted to the show, so I was going to do it. But it, it was an interesting exercise, because, like, with Madman, that's a role where I was like, I will do basically anything for this. I will stand on stage in rags and tatters. I will... If it happens, get my arms cut on these chains, I don't care. I'm going to do, especially for a role like that, which was a role that meant a lot to me, I will do anything up to, like, the line in my moral code. Like, there, there's obviously a line where it's like, I don't want to go past that, because now I feel yeah. that's me engaging in some sin. Yeah. But then I think as, as a leader of a ministry, I don't remember if it's... I think it's in one of the Timothys, but I'm not 100% sure, where it says you should be above reproach, mm. which I'm definitely not above reproach. But it was that question of, is this above reproach? And I think that tends to move the line back a little bit for me, which was an interesting thing that now moving forward, I'm going to be thinking. Somewhere. I would totally agree with you. When I took on the role of master of executive director at Master Arts, you know, I've, I've done roles at other theaters since taking this position, but I've also turned down some mm -hmm. that I may have taken in the past because even though the role itself was one I felt like I could do, that I could do a good job at it, it didn't do anything that made me cross my normal moral line I was very conscious of, okay, what is the presentation of this character at this theater? How are people who know me as the executive director of Master Arts going to view that? So I, that definitely is something that affects what shows I choose to do, what roles I choose to audition for, um, especially if they're outside of, of my theater. I do think, like in your case, and I've had this in the past, where you're playing a despicable character but it's a despicable character in a larger tableau of a story that is very honoring mm -hmm. to God I think in that case 
I'm going to be a little more flexible mm -hmm. in what kind of role I'm going to accept at that. Like, I will, I will play the despicable, nasty character if I know that ultimately what we're doing as a group is going to honor God in what we're doing. Yeah, and I felt like that was very much the case with Father Brown and mm -hmm. your part in it. I agree. That was something I came back to a lot when I was questioning it, was remembering that, like, holistically, this show is a redemptive show. It's a God-honoring show. Mm -hmm. So, like, times when I'd be on stage and I'd know some people in the audience, and I was like, I, I don't like doing this scene in front of them. I remembered it's, it's a part of a bigger picture. Right. It's not just this isolated scene. So your character in Father Brown was a little different than my character in Father Brown. Okay, it was a lot different than your character because yeah. I played Father Brown. But what was what was that like, stepping into that character? Well, it was interesting because two years ago, I didn't know who Father Brown was mm -hmm. at all. Uh, I was not even familiar with the work of G.K. Chesterton, which I'm finding out now is a real fallacy of my part <laughs> because I, I should have been. I think it was my bookkeeper, Dale Day, who said, you know, my wife and I have been watching this show, this BBC show, and you should see if there's a script out there for it because we think it would be good for Master Arts. So I said, well, I'll look into it. What's it called? And he said, Father Brown. I'm like, I'd never heard of it. So being the, you know, really appreciating uh, my bookkeeper and his mentorship and all the things that he helped me with, uh, I looked up Father Brown. And I'm like, oh, this seems really, really interesting. And uh, found a script here in the U.S. that was done out at a theater in California. Got the script, read it, and absolutely fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, this is an amazing, amazing story. Passed it on to our play selection committee. And while they were ruminating it over it for a year, our box office coordinator, Angela, said, hey, this is on Netflix. You should watch it. So I started watching the BBC series. And really just enjoyed the show very, very much. Which then, of course, led me to G.K. Chesterton's short stories. And then I really fell in love with the stories, the way that Chesterton wrote him. He's just very different from any other murder mystery detective that I've ever experienced. So when the chance came to audition for the show... I jumped at the chance, and I was very, very fortunate to be cast as Father Brown. And what's really interesting is I thought this was going to be one of those, it's a murder mystery. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, it's not going to be this deep, emotionally impacting role. You know, it's going to be, I'm going to be able to inhabit this wonderful, jolly, intelligent, kind of bumbling detective priest, and uh, have a really great time with it. But, but what happened, you know, I've done shows where you do the show, the show is great. When the show's done, you enjoyed your time and you walk away from it. It's like, oh yeah, that was fun. Uh, and then there's been other shows that have either the show itself or the character that I portrayed has had a very deep and lasting emotional, spiritual, or physical impact. And I continue to live with those characters. They become a part of me and they become... Um, having played them becomes instrumental in who I am as a person. And Father Brown has become one of those. I had a joy playing him. He's a wonderful, he is a wonderful, fun, joyous, bumbling, intelligent. There's so many different facets to him. And he's just a fun, comedic character to play. But he also has some really deep truths. And I had a wonderful, wonderful cast to play off of. But Father Brown has really become one of those characters that is 
continuing to have a very deep and lasting impact in my life. He fully reacts Mm -hmm. to the world around him. At the same time, he's kind of naive, but yet not, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because a lot of people view him as being naive, naive and out of touch with the world. But what you find out is, no, he's not naive. He knows how evil and dark the world can be, but he deliberately chooses to be a positive light in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that really kind of affected me is seeing how he always was looking for the grace. He was always looking to redeem not only the victims, but also the, the criminals mm-hmm. that he came across. That's just a fascinating part of this beautiful character that Chesterton has created. It's like a lot for, for now, I'm like looking at Father Brown as like this, this is really how we should be mm-hmm. as Christians. Always loving, always looking for, yes, justice, but also redemption. And, uh, and believing that people can be redeemed. And I think that's the the message of the show that really came across for me that I absolutely yeah. loved. I agree. So. so that's a great segue into our next question. However, it's too perfect a segue. So, Tim, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. If you had to go to a desert island to escape the coronavirus and you could only take one piece of fine china with you, what piece would you take? One piece of fine china? <laughs> well, my coffee cup, okay? <laughs> oh. so the Mr. Rogers coffee cup? Well, any coffee cup, really. I mean, coffee is like... My mana. That's fair. But would you then have to, like, you'd have to pick your island so that you could grow coffee beans. Exactly. And then you'd have to right. hand make your coffee. I could do that. Boil them in the sun. Exactly. Do what, I would do what I need to do, and as long as I had the cup to put it in when I'm done, I'm, I'm set to go. Cool. You? Um... One piece of fine china? <laughs> really? That's the question you come up with. I was like, like what's yes, this strange Yes, I'm going to go to a desert island, so what piece of China would I take with me? <laughs> what piece of... I think I'm going to take Hong Kong. That's the piece of China that I would take oh. with me to, to okay. a desert well, island. Yeah. Would be Hong Kong. Wow, we totally looked at that from two different perspectives. <laughs> All right. So, so with that... With that... All right, we've talked about Father Brown, um, and you've mentioned a couple of other characters in mm-hmm. talking about it. So tell... tell Tell everybody what's some what's some characters that had kind of like that you've loved to play that have had a lasting mm-hmm. impact on your life. Well, uh, the first one is the answer to everything, especially in Sunday school, Jesus. Jesus. Um, but it was it was an interesting story in a show called Cotton Patch Gospel, which is a modern adaptation of the gospel set in the South, but it was a really impactful show. And I hadn't been planning on doing it. Um, I was going to play violin, and then uh, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be there for the performances, I might as well audition. And so, like, like I literally decided two hours before the audition day. Um, I think we went out to dinner, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to audition. And I did, and walking out, I remember saying to you, because we'd auditioned together, I remember saying, you know, It'd be cool to play Jesus. I highly doubt that's going to happen, but that'd be cool. And then I got cast as Jesus, and it was just... Lo I, and behold. I know. It, it, there were many facets to that show as to how they impacted me. For some reason, Cotton Patch drove home spiritual warfare 
I mean, seriously, every week. I got the stomach flu and had to leave the stage once because I had to throw up and somebody had to cover my solo uh, at a dress rehearsal, which then was like the stomach flu went through the whole cast. You lost your voice, so people had to cover for you on the fly, which was incredible to see God work that out. And colds went around. There were fevers where we thought someone was going to be in the hospital. Other roles had to be swapped. It was insane. Mm -hmm. But then throughout all of that, I was playing this character that more than anyone is supremely connected to the father. And I remember saying to God once that I wanted to basically just be puppeted by him. I wanted to just let God essentially inhabit me and be Christ. Because I knew the opportunities that were there amongst the cast and with the audience to, to really impact them. And that was my prayer. And it really did. There's one story. It's my favorite theater story to tell. At Master Arts, we've got a 100-seat black box. It's very, very small. I can literally be standing less than a foot away from an audience member. And I was one time. Um, and Jesus had been preaching. And I was singing this song. And if anybody knows me, they know that I gesture a lot with my hands when I'm talking. I'm doing it now. But I gestured, and I just reached out my hand, and this little old lady just looked up and grabbed my hand. And, like, her eyes were welling up with tears, and it just, I had, it, it, it was remarkable. It was incredibly awkward as well, but it was remarkable to see how much that could impact the audience. Mm -hmm. But it also really revolutionized, really, my view of Jesus. Because I'd always loved this idea of, like, the fact that Jesus did laugh and have a wonderful time with his disciples. Um, but that didn't click until I started doing that. And I was like, what's the best way to approach Jesus? And I thought about the love, and I realized just how much joy must Jesus have, having created this world and viewing everyone in it as his children and then he gets to basically just go play in the sandbox that he made. Mm -hmm. So there was that factor. Like, any time a new character would come in, I'd be like, I know them and I love them. And yes, they're challenging me, but man, I love this person. But then there was also a balance of always knowing what was coming. Yeah. And I remember one time I went in my basement and I just thought through what would, what would Jesus' death be like. And... All of a sudden, my brain just put the face of one of my closest friends on one of his accusers and on one of the people mm. killing him. And that massively hit me when I realized that Jesus wow. loved everyone who did all of these things to him as much as I love my family and friends. And that really hit me. Jesus was the first most important one because that really revolutionized a lot my view of how I relate to God, it's way more, it feels easier to relate to God right now. Like I will say offhanded things to him all the time based on the, the, the prayers that Jesus would say throughout that show. Um, and like his presence constantly there that I can rely on, it really revolutionized that. Um, the other two, uh, Mr. Banks was a big one in Mary Poppins um, because coming from a divorced family, it's... It's kind of like a happy ending that I didn't get to get. Not that my life is not good. My life is wonderful. I'm remarkably blessed. But there's that show just gets me. Mm. It, it really gets me. The family in that show, the Banks family, and the growth that they go through is just remarkable. 
And like that didn't hit me as much as a impacting my life as far as how I live my life, but it did impact me artistically. Yeah. I had never that role in Jesus, which I played back to back, those two were so artistically enriching and were just beautiful to play. Yeah. That that's what really made me be like, no, this is what I want to do with my life. And then the last one is Bad Man. Bad Man was a character in uh, an adaptation of Calvin Miller's The Singer, mm-hmm. which we just did last year about this time. Yeah, and it, it's ba- it, not basically, it literally was me. 100%. Every single line could relate to my life. But So what are your roles, Timothy? What has changed you and grabbed you and just made you malleable and turned you into a different being? Wow, made me malleable. <laughs> What role made me Play-Doh? <laughs> well, <clears throat> there's been a few. I mean, I've done a lot, a lot of shows and a lot of roles that I've really loved. The ones that have really stuck with me, like I was talking about earlier, well, the first one, ironically, is from Cotton Patch Gospel. Ooh. And it's uh, <laughs> Matthew, who in Cotton Patch Gospel, Matthew is the Matthew of the Gospels. <clears throat> he is the one... Basically, tell, driving and telling the story of what Jesus was like to, to his disciples when he was here on earth. And I was unbelievably blessed that I first got to play Matthew in Cotton Patch Gospel under the direction of Joel and Ming at Holland Civic Theater 18 years ago now. 19 years ago now. And then we, when we put it on our schedule here, I said, I know who has to direct this. And I got Joelle and Ming to come and direct it. And uh, she said, Tim, I just want you to be my Matthew again. So I got to play the same role almost two decades mm-hmm. apart. And Which I, I have to say, playing those two roles together <clears throat> was like one of my most treasured theater memories. Oh, likewise. Being able to Thank lead you. that show and then you leading that show with like the two of us. Like, we didn't interact a huge amount because we did such separate parts of the show. Yeah. But those moments that we did were just wonderful. And I think us doing that show in the roles that we had of Matthew, the storyteller, and Jesus, the main character, mm-hmm. propelled our friendship I think to so. where it is. We should have an episode where we talk about our friendship because... Oh, golly. It's been, it's <laughs> been an interesting one. Interesting. But yeah, I... That, Cotton Patch did that with a lot of friendships, though. It that did. Version, it, it, did. it really forged a lot. There were a lot of friendships that started with this wonderful show, Horizons of Gold, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a 20th century retelling of the story of Ruth, which I directed. John was my assistant director, and, and it was my first directing here at Master Arts, so it's the first time I met a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of lasting friendships came out of that show, mm-hmm. many of them which then were, were part of Cotton Patch Gospel. More in that, yeah. Definitely Matthew. I mean, I named my second son after that character mm-hmm. because he impacted me so much. Uh, gave me a real love for scripture that I hadn't had before and a love for st- storytelling scripture in unique ways, mm-hmm. which then helped me tremendously when we did The Singer, and I actually wrote that show, so we'll talk about that some other episode. Artaban in a show called Seeking the Child that I actually wrote with a dear friend of mine, Stuart Jones, which is a adaptation that we wrote of Henry Van Dyke's short story, The Other Wise Man, mm-hmm. a Christmas story about uh, another wise man who doesn't quite make it to the nativity scene. Mm-hmm. I originally wrote it without any intention of actually being in the show, but then when we 
cast it the first time it was done at Holland First Assembly, 1998. Everyone said, no, you have to play the lead character. So I did. And one of the most worshipful experiences of my life. Then the first show I did here at Master Arts, um, which was The Beams Are Creaking, and I got to portray Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anytime that you have to step into a role of a person who actually existed in history, as an actor, you desperately want to portray them truthfully. Mm -hmm. And so I really dug into who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was and uh, fortunately, the wonderful biography um, had just come out, and uh, I was reading about him, and, and it changed my life, changed my perspective of my relationship with God, my relationship with other people, my relationship to social justice. Mm. It, it, it tackled that very difficult question of, of when is it right for you to submit to the authorities God has placed above you? And when is it right to stand up for truth and mm -hmm. for justice and for those who are being oppressed? Why are you laughing? Because my brain auto-completed truth and justice to be Superman saying oh. to fight for truth, <clears throat> justice, and the American way. This like... will happen a lot. Uh, <laughs> there are geek references abounding in both of our brains. Yes. So, so this is the shenanigans that we're talking about. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is Dietrich Superman. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Huh? So that was phenomenal. And then... Uh, I got to do some Shakespeare, which is a dream. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't say it's like a massively ch life-changing experience, but I've always wanted to do Shakespeare, and I did Measure for Measure um, with uh, Heritage Theater Company, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. And then since then, it's been creating the singer um, mm -hmm. and playing Earthmaker in the singer, which was a very natural extension of kind of writing and directing that show. And then now Father Brown. So I'd say those are, are the ones that really, really have impacted me. To end this, um, I think we need to at least uh, talk a little bit about what we're all facing right now, why we decided to do this uh, podcast now, which is the quarantine and uh, this really unprecedented time that we're facing mm -hmm. in the world where this whole social distancing and quarantining ourselves. Talk a little bit about what you're doing as director of Unmuted in this kind of time where you mm -hmm. can't create. And it's, I'll do the same. Yeah, it's been definitely interesting. I've been kind of sitting back and just watching um, a lot because I don't know, nobody knows where it's going to go or what's going to happen. But I've been like seeing all these cool artistic things uh, that people are doing. I mean, even this is one of them. As they have more time, they're doing something that's cool and creative or they're trying to do something online like uh lin-manuel miranda released a new hamilton song that he'd never put in um a, my favorite band the gray havens did just a live concert where it was just the two of them mm -hmm. uh last night on the internet answering questions which was wonderful and very encouraging um and so i, I was I, I really tried to think what what is it that god wants us to do to encourage others um and how can we continue to minister at a time where we can't go out and minister. So right now I'm working on a project for a reader's theater uh, in which I would like to read through the entire Gospels. Um, not the entire Gospels, but a sort of a compilation of all of them to go through the life of Jesus. 
um, which I've put together, and I've, I've put together the cast for that. Uh, so we're hoping to launch that in the next week or two, which you will actually be in, Yay. just in case you forgot. That's probably our, our biggest thing. We're trying to get um, Instagram up and going as well. Just I want to be able to encourage people and share scripture and, and, and bring people back to that encouraging presence of God because I, I do really think that that's what's going to get us through whatever the heck this season of life is going to be is remembering God's in control. He wasn't surprised whatever plans he was moving you towards before this happened, he is still moving you towards because he knew what would happen. So that is really kind of where my heart's been with Unmuted. Uh, how about you with Master Arts? Well, it's been a difficult time. Unfortunately, as you know, the the mandates from the Governor Whitmer of Governor Michigan's here her office came down and we had to kind of close down any places for social gathering. It's really limited what we've been able to do. Um, we've had to cancel our spring show, which I'm really brokenhearted about because it's a script that I was really kind of championing mm -hmm. that we really needed to do. One of the most beautiful stories I've ever read, which is Enchanted April. And uh, we're going to have to put that off for a while. I'm still hoping that our summer uh, show, Life to Rail, will happen. Still hoping that our next Shabby Chic Variety show will happen. Still hoping that our summer camps for kids will happen. But while we're kind of in this quarantine, I was like, okay, I know our actors and volunteers are going to be going stir crazy without something <laughs> to do and i also know our patrons many of which are uh older folks um as patrons of the arts tend to be you know and there i just heard from one yesterday that's saying even the ones who are living in the kind of senior living centers they're not allowed to congregate mm -hmm. and play games or, or you know, any of the activities so i was like okay what can we do to minister to them uh, to minister to our patrons who are stuck at home, but also uh, keep the creativity flowing in our family. Mm -hmm. So we're doing a couple of things. Um, we're going to do some quarantine monologues uh, where people are just preparing monologues. We're going to video them, and we're going to put them out online for people to see. We're also going to do some uh, virtual reader's theater. So we're actually picking some scripts in the public domain that are reflective of... Uh, who Master Arts is, or maybe a show that we've always wanted to do, but really because we're a small theater, we don't really have the uh, capacity to normally do. And we're going to use some technology and, and kind of do put some shows out, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of fun. And it's been interesting learning about the technology and connecting with people. And I've, I've had a huge response. So by the time you're listening to this, there may already be one available and some monologues. So check out our website check out our facebook page our our youtube channel and they'll be out there awesome. so can i share a bible verse absolutely we go please do the bible i think is dope so that was not why you keep using it i do not think it means what you think it means <laughs> but no this was the the verse of the day on the the bible app which if you don't have the bible app it's a very handy app just to kind of remind you that the bible's there because sometimes you need to be reminded that the bible's there um, but they do a verse of the day, which is often quite encouraging. And today's was uh, Philippians 4.19, which says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Um, which I think is very applicable to this time where we have a lot of needs that need to be met. But 
he can do it, even if we don't know how and even if we don't necessarily see it until we're just getting over that hill and then it comes. That is so, so. true. If you've enjoyed listening to us converse together, if this is something you'd like to hear more of, let us know. Uh, you can put it in the comments below. Um, if there's things that you'd like to hear us talk about, put those in the comments below, and we'd love to talk about those things. Um, and uh, we're going to have some guests on on yep. future ones. We're going to be talking to some of our friends, some other artists in the community. Um, we're hoping to make this uh, not just us talking, uh, <laughs> but something that actually gets out, gets into the community, and actually um, we get some people joining us to talk about what they're doing. So thanks for listening, and tune in again for our next episode. Thank you for listening to Playing for the Master, a co-production of Unmuted Arts and Master Arts Theater, both out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our theme music is Rondo Giocoso, a piece written and performed by Richard Sertia. Our podcast is edited by Tim Van Bruggen. The views expressed by the hosts of this podcast are completely their own and may not reflect those held by the organizations as a whole. If you have any comments or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear discussed, please email them to director at masterarts.org. Thanks for listening.